everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Playing Around. I'm your host, Paige Renee. We have Teddy G. You had a very exciting weekend. You actually played a ton of golf. I was following you <laughs> on uh, social media, watching your stories, your horrible, shitty swing that just <laughs> gives me nightmares, but it seemed to work for you this week. <laughs> Paige, I, I don't know what's happening. Like when I see myself on video hitting a shot, I say, how does the ball even move forward? <laughs> It's horrendous. Like I'm sending you a video. I'm on the range. I strike one. I I think this is effective trash talk because at some point you and I are going to have a long drive contest. And then I understand you looking at this video being like, what is he? This guy hit it 165. So it has the reverse effect. I think you're even less intimidated now. It's just so weird because you say you can actually like move the golf ball out there and it sounds solid, but I look at the swing and I am like, how does he make contact? Because it's just everything is all over the place. But hey, whatever works, works, right? I got elbows and knees. (laughs) Bottom line is I somehow went out like I've played very, very little since uh, coming back from Cabo. Sorry, that was obnoxious. Um, (laughs) And I shot 38 on the front on Friday. So I was playing with a new guy and he's like, yeah, you're a 13. But I'm like, dude, just give it time. So ended up like 38, 46. It, it <laughs> seems like guys like me always revert to the mean, but played pretty well. Won all my matches, uh, mostly because of uh, selecting good partners. Played with the pro yesterday. He's pretty good. And um, Geneva National is a beautiful place. They got three golf courses. Wisconsin in general is the place that uh, COVID forgot. Um it was amazing to be in the pro shop and nobody is wearing a mask. Um, it's like Wisconsin's always been that way, but now so it's it's permitted. And this was surprising to me too. Like handshakes are back. I have probably shaken 15 to 20 hands in the last week because I was at our company headquarters in Denver. 
I, I would have said that handshakes were never going to return. It was always going to be bumps, but they're back, baby. <laughs> yeah, I know. That is very weird. I still travel now or like go anywhere with my hand sanitizer. And if I like touch something or someone, I'm like lubing my hands up, making sure that I'm like, <laughs> okay, we're good to go. We're fine. But it, it's weird, but it is also nice to, you know, start to feel a little bit normal again. How was the trip to Colorado? I clearly didn't make it out, but I wish I did. It looked like fun. Yeah. Other than you're not being there, it was absolutely perfect, to be honest. I mean, one of the great things was finding out that our CEO, Johnny Aiken, is a huge Simpsons fan. <laughs> so we were to go out and swap Simpsons stories. Uh, we had a, a tremendous dinner out with Maddie Douglas and Jay Croucher on the first night, Tuesday night. At one point, I had um, wine, champagne, and a cocktail in front of me. <laughs> and we went well past midnight. Um, and then the next night, we went to an avalanche hockey game. And uh, Kate Chesney, uh, our VP of finance, at one point, we're walking down early third period after, you know, wrangling some drinks. And I see a hockey puck like flying in the air, just like softly. So it goes under the chairs and she is aggressive. She's like a bulldog. She is down there <laughs> reaching for the puck. She has this puck. You know, it's rare that pucks fly into the stands these days. In, in, in the yeah. Seats. So I'm like, man, you just got a great coaster. <laughs> so it was uh, an amazing game. The Avalanche won six nothing. I had some action on them minus one and a half. Uh, Cole Feinblum was wearing um, an LA Kings jersey, so he did not have the best time. But uh, amazing, amazing to meet some colleagues for the first time and, and regather. So yeah, we need you there next time. I feel like hockey games are the best in person. They're the best sport to watch live. We've talked about this before and especially playoff hockey. I've never been to a playoff hockey game, but I definitely need to go because it's just different. Like playoff hockey just hits differently. Like I think playoff hockey is the best in when it comes to playoffs out of every sport. It's just so fun to watch. I always have it on TV at home. It's my favorite by far. Well, you are now working for the right company because when you walk into Ball Arena, you will see points bet all over the freaking place. I mean, we have great branding. We have a lot of seats. I mean, we had, you know, it was very limited capacity last week, but we still had one of the suites. I was in like the sixth row. There was Johnny, there was Jay, there were spouses. I felt like we were running the place. So make sure you get there for an abs playoff game because I think, uh, I think you'll like what you see. I mean, they always see it. I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you were super busy. Did you have any time to watch the Byron Nelson at all? Just DVR'd it. Uh, yeah. It was definitely a good week not to have to really watch a golf tournament because, you know, I was mostly playing golf, which was nice. And then recorded Friday. Also, Bo, our puppy, uh, met some new dogs. No. Um, my friend had, uh, my friend Michelle had a, a first birthday party for her dog, Monty. <laughs> so we're in that phase now of like limited socialization <laughs> yeah. where he doesn't have his shots, but the, the trainer said you have to have your dog get out. You have I to know it's hard. People meet people of different races, meet people who have beards, meet people who wear hats. This is fascinating to me. All this is going on right now, but when your dog doesn't have its shots, you can't really just throw them to the wolves. Is it weird that we socialize our dogs more than some people socialize their own kids? <laughs> I, I can vouch for that because my kids were quiet in the corner of this party yesterday, just like on their screens. You know, I was like, come on, guys, step, you can take your mask off and step up and be social. But it was more important than Bo meet, uh, meet the various pups and stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. I enjoyed watching the Byron Nelson. It was interesting, obviously, because it was at a new golf course this year. Mm-hmm. They've been mixing the golf courses around, and it, it, they haven't really found the right one. So I don't know if this is going to be the right golf course for them. Maybe not because they went so incredibly low on it, which is what we expected because obviously a new golf course, they don't know really how to set it up yet, how it's going to play. And um, I love watching tournaments where they go low. I know people like to watch them struggle and I do too. I like that in the majors. I like my majors to be hard, but it is fun to see how good these guys truly are sometimes when they get, you know, an ideal setup. Uh, the, the golf course is nice and soft and you don't realize that these guys can just go out and shoot like 63s. Like it's nothing, exactly. nothing. And this isn't even like, it's still set up as a PGA tour caliber course. Yes. And it would be difficult for any normal person, but these guys just eat that shit up. It is such a great reminder to those fools out there who think like, Hey, my pro is really good. Cause he shoots 70 out here. Like on the courses that we play, they exactly they could be blindfolded and break par <laughs> and if we let them actually look and see where they're shooting their average score would probably be 61 62 i mean you know they're just they're just freak shows yeah. um they need like crazy fast greens or a lot of wind or a heavy rut you know they need things uh to make it harder other other otherwise it's just like darts uh, and even on tough courses like medina i mean a few years ago they have the BMW championship out of Medina. And for people like me, you think Medina, you think, oh my God, I hope I survive. Like if I break a hundred, it's a good day. And the greens were soft and it wasn't windy. And I think Justin Thomas is 25 under. They're they're just ridiculous. I played Oak Hill the week or like a couple days or pretty soon after they had the senior championship there. And it was impossible. Like the rough was so (laughs) thick where if you missed it just a couple inches off the fairway, good luck finding your golf ball. You couldn't even find it. They brought the fairways in. The greens were firm and fast. And at some point I was just like, this isn't fun anymore. Like they can't make the golf courses that difficult or normal people like us are like never going to have a good time out there. And it's funny because some people will be like, you know, we have Tory Pines coming up for the U.S. Open. Yeah. And when I played there, I consistently shoot, you know, in the 60s. It's not that difficult of a golf course. It all comes down to how it's set up. And so I would hear these guys be like, oh, you know, I could play on tour. I shot, a, you know, a 70 or a 71 or 72 out of Tory. These guys are shooting 74. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> not on the conditions that they're playing on. I don't think, again, people don't realize, like, how hard they set these golf courses up. And then you get a golf course a little soft and first round everyone should be like nine under eight under seven under i mean there was like 20 people tied at seven under it was crazy and then how about if you really have to put out like okay so my (laughs) my official score on sunday i looked that was an 88 i'm like that's pretty good until you consider that you know we got we got drinks at some point so i think we got drinks after the eighth hole and uh so on number nine a buddy and I both, you know, sprayed our tee shots into the woods. Okay, so you, get, you know, you, you get we're going to get a mulligan for that, and you know, we're playing match play. So all those six footers that I just all right, that's let's good. Scoop that's it good. Up. Yeah. So eighty eight sounds great. If I had to really putt out, that's adding four or five right there. 
and we're playing from the blues. Oh, no. And like you're saying, all of the drops, like the proper drops, like if you hit an OB, you have to go back to the T and you have to take your drop and like all of that. And obviously the gimmies, like once I stop playing, it's a running joke that I don't put anything inside 10 feet because I pick it up. I'm like, I don't want to stress over it. I don't care. I'm not grinding anymore because I had to do that for so long. You put everything out. You play it, you know, golf so strictly. And I hate that. I use like the nice foot wedge sometimes, you know, (laughs) even if it's in a bunker, I'll just like scrape it out of the bunker, put it in the grass again. So I'm like, I just don't want to. And I think more people should play like that and make it fun. Like you don't have to play traditional golf for it to be fun. I think it's more fun when you just kind of make your own rules and just go out there and have a good time. The country club gimme um, is the big (laughs) one. It's probably why I like playing private (laughs) courses among the other reasons. The circle of trust goes from here on public courses to like here on private courses because (laughs) nobody wants to embarrass anybody. And I mean, again, like if you think my full swing is bad, you should see my putting stroke. Like nobody wants to see me uh, attempt too many three footers. Um, What do you do? As as a public I'm like shocked. I have have a weird grip. I take it back strange. There's all just all sorts of bad stuff going on. So I don't want to, I don't want to put myself through it. I don't want to put other people through that. How did it start? Wait, I'm, I'm just like, my mind is blown right now from the putting stroke, like, or the bad swing. When you started golf, were you just like, this is what feels good. And I'm just going to keep doing this or, and then you saw it on camera and you're like, what am I doing? Or did you like, how does that even begin? I mean, I guess my excuse is like, I was a tennis player growing up. I didn't start playing golf until my early 20s. I really have not taken very many lessons. The weird thing about having a bad swing is that you don't realize until you see it on video. Like, I'll be (laughs) like, okay, let me get in the right spot. Let me stick out my butt so I feel like my hammies, like they talk about. Let me have good tempo. I think I'm Adam Scott when I'm swinging. (laughs) And as it turns out... I am, you know, you are not. Frederick, <laughs> I am Frederick Scott who shoots 117 at, you know, at some public course. No, I mean, I, I still managed to score. Okay. The contact is okay. I hit it fairly long, but it, it is, it is a horror show on video. Um, and I don't know what to do about it at this point, because if I try to start doing it properly, where I'm taking it out, messes wide, everything up. exactly. Yeah. So at this point, I think this is what I'm left with. If I can shoot 88 and win some money, and again, pick some good partners, <laughs> then I'm okay. Now, so we had a good format Sunday I want to talk about real quick. So we had, there were two A players and two B players. So it was best ball teams. But if the two A players tied, then it came down to the B player. We were like the tie break. So that was great. Good. So if one of those guys makes a birdie and the other makes a par, our, our scores don't matter and we can you know move on. But then there were times I had to grind for a, you know, for a par to either uh, win or tie the hole. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, there's some formats that are so much fun and then some formats just put so much pressure on, you know, certain players. Like, for example, every time I go to the Derek Jeter, um, they do you pick the best drive and from there everyone plays their shot, their their whole their Is that ball a shamble? In. It, it's a sh- it's like a modified shamble. And it's confusing. But again, <laughs> if you have shots, like I can get the guys out there because I play from yes. the front tees and, you know, I need the charity events. So my, my responsibility is the drive, but then you're, you're there. And some of the guys who are, you know, a higher handicap, say like, you know, over 20, they could get potentially two shots on one hole. Yeah. And I feel so bad for them because we are so heavily relying on this guy to, you know, like make a par or like get in three shots. And then we forget there's like, oh, he's like a 25 handicap like 
he doesn't do this. And so standing over like a two, three footer for him, he's like, you could literally like see them shaking and we're all counting on him. And I'm like, this format is not great for him because I would have to make, you know, birdies on my own ball or like trying to make eagles to even keep up with these guys. But when you get that one shot, it's like such a big advantage. So it's, uh, it's brutal. I always feel so bad because they just, you can see them like slowly cracking under the pressure. But then on the opposite side, when they are kind of having a, like a good day, like, you know, for them, yeah. they are like Tiger Woods. They're like walking in two footers. They are like <laughs> posing. And it's like so much fun also to see them you know, rise to the pressure and rise to the occasion. Yes. And uh, they feel so good about themselves because they never get that opportunity to be like the man. So you, it, it, can, it can go both ways. We have a guy named Keon who is walking in his three footers, Kevin Nas style. I think that's <laughs> become a big thing on golf trips, but yeah. quick funny story on that in terms of getting two shots. So when I played it, I played in one program in my life. It was with Boo Weekly at the BMW championship at Coghill many years ago. I might've mentioned it. And, uh, one of the things was like, you look at the card and they had me as like, I don't know, like a 22 index or something. I'm like, <laughs> I guess you just assumed I totally sucked. I mean, yeah. I'm a 13, but at this point I'm not going to correct it. I mean, it's just, yeah, bonus why would you? <laughs> so the 10th hole, I like to tell people, it's like, never tell you about the time I made a double legal out here <laughs> because I made, uh, we made a four on a par five and I got two shots and I actually made the putt. So it was recorded as a two. That's so I just amazing. love to say it's like, yeah, double eagle out here, you know, nothing to it. Not hard. You really have to like pick your team when you are going to like these events because you you can't have, you know, all really good players if you're doing, you know, a shamble. But if you're doing a scramble, you need all good players. And so yes. like, sometimes you're not going to win unless you have a higher handicap guy on your team. And so it's like you have to be very strategic when you do these team events. Those are fun because like, right, even if you suck, even if you're like a 28, you can contribute yes. somehow. Just make one putt. You know, if you somehow make a par with it, you know, when you're getting two shots or something, you're like a hero. So that is what's great about golf compared to tennis. Like, I can't play against Roger Federer. No. But like, I could theoretically play against Jordan Spieth if he gives me enough shots and if the formats are goofy and all that. Um, you know, it, guys play, if they play worst ball scramble where they have to, you know, play their worst ball on every single <laughs> shot, you can play almost against anybody in the world that way because it's going to be hard for them to post a good score. So, Another reason that golf is freaking awesome. Golf is the best. But speaking of Jordan Spieth, so Michael Breed said on his PGA Tour show, I think Jordan Spieth right now is the best player on the planet. Do we agree with Breed? Do we not agree with Breed? You know, it's it's hard to say because obviously Jordan is on an incredible run right now. Um, all of his top fives, his top tens, his finish at the Masters. He's been playing some incredible golf. But he only has won the Valero. So he's been in this position yeah. over and over again. And I feel like if you are going to call someone the best player on the PGA Tour right now, that they should probably be closing out some more wins. That would be nice. I mean, my first instinct is to say Rory is the best player on the planet. But I mean, yeah, he's still capable of throwing up a 76 at Kiowa, even though he's yeah. obviously won the PGA Championship there. I mean, I'm just looking at the points bet odds for the PGA Championship. So here's who the public or our traders think, you know, Rory McIlroy is at 11 to one then John Rahm and Jordan Spieth are at 14, Justin Thomas at 16. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's close. Uh, Jordan now he's kind of Mr. Consistent. 
consistency, right? Like he's he's not winning all the time. I mean, which is bizarre him. after you know everything that's been happening to him and in his career the past couple of years, where he was not consistent at all. <laughs> yeah, this time last year he was he was like a box of chocolates, um, and now he is. You feel like a bad week for him is you know where he finishes between ten and twenty. So certainly make a case for that. Looking ahead to the PGA Championship, who are some players that you're liking? You know, without any research, I don't know Kiowa all that yeah. well. Um, okay. I know that it's going to be the longest golf course that they have played, which will take a lot of people out, especially being in South Carolina, where, yeah. you know, the air is a little bit thicker. Um, if they get some rain, it could get, you know, pretty soft and wet. So it's going to be interesting. It's hard to say that Jordan Spieth is going to be, you know, like one of the favorites because he doesn't particularly hit it all that long. He's not a short hitter. Yeah. He's not one of the longest hitters. So you're going to have to probably look at some of the longer hitters going to the PGA. You know, I've been reading about it and I watched uh, a preview show yesterday. I mean, one of the key things. So when Rory won it um, in 2012, he was the longest driver in the field. Mm-hmm. He wasn't that accurate. He was like 42nd in accuracy. So clearly bombing it helps. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Genius, we probably already knew that because we're playing <laughs> close to 8,000 yards, but it is very, very important. That's great. But the other thing is he got up and down 18 out of 24 times. So like with majors, you know. You maybe, never I think know. We know. Well, it, 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 here's the thing. It's like, there are no gimmicks. It, yeah. It's not going to be like, well, he just does two things well, but three things poorly. Kind of like that's going to have no chance. You have to do everything well, but super, super important is going to be short game and dominant. Um, so maybe some guys we can eliminate. That's hard though, because like you have someone like a Bryson, but then also you look at short game, then you have like a Spieth or a Patrick Reed, which sure. their games are so incredibly different. So you don't know like route, what route you want to go with this one, because obviously you do need to, it's a premium on hitting it long. And then there's also like <laughs> premium on short game, which sometimes don't go hand in hands, which is like two total opposites. I mean, I think one guy I'm probably not going to take is uh, Brooks Kepka at 40 to one. I mean, he no. wrecked, uh, was that your name of bet or my name of bet where we needed the three guys to, to it was make mine yeah. yeah how dare he i mean that was a pretty poor performance by brooks so he's he's coming in cold to this event um also matthew fitzpatrick had a really weird missed the cut i don't know what the hell's going on with his game he was mr consistency early in the year so i i, I got a guy for you um Tony Finau, he's, no! he's going to be, he's, he's your guy, right? <laughs> no, you know what? After I said, I'm never going to pick Tony ever, <laughs> ever again. He's going to win this tournament. He's going to do it. Hilarious. I know he's going to, I just, it, I feel it, but I, I'm, I'm still not, I'm never going to pick him. I just don't think he's going to close it out. His odds are down to 40 to one. Yeah. Oh, I mean, wow. he's down there in the Webb Simpson, almost the Corey Connors territory. I feel like Tony's, we've really not heard from him since about March, maybe since, since he blew it at the Genesis and uh, should have taken down our boy, Max Homa. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, like, who's got that? Like, all these guys we're looking at are, are basically average to long hitters. I mean, wh- you know, why can't a guy like Victor Hovland win? Obviously, he doesn't have a lot of experience, but... Not a great short game, though. Yeah, that's true. Lack of chipping is probably going to uh, bite him in the ass. Um, Scotty Scheffler's probably going to have a chance. Maybe a boy, Turrell Hatton, is going to be there. Mark Leishman. 60 to one. That guy you feel like is going to be up around that leaderboard. How about uh, Sam Burns? He's been playing really well lately. Um, I feel like once he got that win, he has been, 
has maybe like a little more confidence or he's feeling a little bit better now, but you know, his showing at the Byron Nelson was really impressive after getting that win. Yeah. Sam Burns is up to 40 to one. So that just shows you, I bet he's been like the biggest riser in the last couple of weeks, probably him and Victor Hovland. Victor Hovland was 28 to one. Now he's down to 20 going the other way. DJ Dustin Johnson can't, can't feel good about him going in here. 17 to one. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a crapshoot right now, but that's what makes it so much fun. You just never know how anyone's going to play. <laughs> Are you, so when a major comes, do you basically like carve out time Thursday through Sunday? Do, do you have like a do not disturb sign that you, you know, sort of like use for people? Don't bother me. I'm watching a major. 100%. Oh yeah. I mean, you have to, I watch everything that I can watch during the majors. The PGA is my least favorite out of the four of them. I just find it a bit boring and that's why I think they should go to match play, but we already discussed that, <laughs> but I think they could just do something a little bit different to make it more exciting. It's yeah. the least exciting major out of all of them, but I still will, you know, carve out as much time as I can to watch all of it. Cause it's a major. Yeah, I'm actually flying to New York this weekend because I've been doing enough travel lately for a buddy's <laughs> bat mitzvah. So there's going to be some some tricky times where I'm going to miss <laughs> some of the golf. Now, when are you doing these mayhem live watches for points bet this week? When uh, what are you scheduled for? So I am doing a Thursday and with you. So we're doing a Thursday live. <laughs> Great. So it's me, me and Teddy on um, our joint Instagram account. So if you follow points bet and then also me, we are going to recap the first round of the PGA. And then I will be doing it solo on Friday on my own account. I have offered myself to join you in the back of a New York City taxi cab. Why you know, are you snubbing me? You know, we're just we're just going to say no to that one. Leave it at that. <laughs> I'm going to offer to ship bagels to you. I would do smoked salmon, but that would probably be pretty sticky by the time it arrives. I'm still going to try, try to jump in on your Friday show. I'm going to see if we can, we can sneak in there. I'll just keep hitting the decline on it. <laughs> this must not be working. I keep yeah, I can't. I can't let you in. I can't Her see. Finger the- <laughs> keeps hitting the screen. <laughs> It'll be fun though. I'm excited for the PGA. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to discuss the NCAA regional oh, fiasco that happened brutal. all over social media. So uh, we'll see you guys soon. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family, like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. 
It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, guys, I'm sure you've heard and you've seen it all over social media, even on your TVs, the NCAA, I mean, what happened? So they were playing, the women's golf regionals were happening, and they ended up canceling one of the regionals because the course, and I quote, wasn't playing at a championship level. So they didn't get to play any of the rounds. It was going to be a three-day tournament. They canceled it, and then they allowed the highest-ranked teams and the three highest-ranked individuals to move on to nationals. The girls were devastated when they made the announcement. Um, The girls were yelling, basically saying, let us play. We want to play. Why can't we play? Um, the NCAA came back and said that it just was not going to be playable at a championship level, which I don't know what they mean by that because we had a lot of rain at the Byron Nelson and they seem right. to handle that just fine. A lot of courses seem to be able to drain and it, I have played in some very terrible, terrible conditions that were almost unplayable and we still played. It was bizarre from start to finish, the way they handled it. The announcement was awkward. It it was just handled so poorly. And I want to address this first before we kind of get into the meat of it. I don't think this was sexist. I think a lot of people were saying this would have happened. This would not have happened if the men were playing. I disagree. Mm. The NCAA, all they see is dollar signs. and. Men's golf and women's golf does not bring any money back into the NCAA's pockets compared to March Madness, where we can go back to that controversy where the women didn't have um, the same equal facilities when it came to their weights. And that was truly a men versus women issue because right. they had the same amount of space, timing, everything, and that was not fair. When it comes to this with the golf, I think they would have handled it the exact same way if the guys were playing as if the women were playing and it was the wrong decision, but I think that it was not, you know, a men versus women issue. It's a money issue when it comes to the NCAA. That might be the nicest thing you could possibly say about the NCAA in this respect, (laughs) that they're a horrible, brutal, terrible, awful decision. But they're not not sexist. sexist. (laughs) (laughs) 
It was awful, but they also would have screwed them in. Yeah. Um, I, that part, I don't know. I mean, there's so many strange things here. So first round, they were down in Baton Rouge at the LSU home course. Um, you know, a lot of the women and coaches were saying the communication all week was off or lacking. Like they were unclear if they could take a cart out or if they had to walk and when they could practice. Yeah. And they were very surprised. Like they would look on the golf course and there would be one maintenance worker. Well, you know, how are you going to clear a golf course of seven inches of rain if you've got only one guy out there? Why don't you have a larger staff? And yeah, it probably all comes down to money because they don't want to pay for a larger staff of people to take the, you know, suck the water out of the bunkers and get the course ready. It was still such a brutal decision because if you have to play 16 of the 18 holes, you do that because that's much better. If two holes are unplayable, focus on the 16 that are playable. How about if you have to turn it from a 54 hole event into a 36 hole event, you do that. How about you try to cram 36 holes in one of the two days? I mean, do something like, the woman who this is is so painful to do this the woman who shouted thank you for ending our careers wow i mean when you think about that when you think about these people who've like been through covid and, and all the, the seniors, challenges and practicing yeah, and like yeah they the seniors i feel so horrible for them because their junior year they missed out because of covid and now the seniors or their senior year now they can't do this because of um then the NCAA just making poor decisions. So Julie Manning, the national committee chairperson for women's golf, she said, it's very difficult to ask these courses to give up their courses to commit further than we've asked of them on the front end. In the end, we did follow our procedure and our manual that we put together decades ago. We feel like we need to follow our policy. So uh, like I was going, it's a money issue. They didn't want to, you know, pay the courses to, you know, hold another three-day tournament. And I'm sure the courses would be more than understanding. It's one course. The course would have been understanding or they could have found another course in the next couple of days in the same area or another region. Like, it's not that difficult to let these girls play and to figure it out. And I remember seeing her on, I believe it was Golf Channel. And she was like, you know, <laughs> they asked her, how would you tell these girls to handle this? And she's like, well, as student athletes, they have learned to overcome adversity, and I would tell them uh, to keep pushing on with a great attitude. I'm like, fuck you. Fuck Seriously, you. fuck you. Like, you suck the lives out of these girls, not just in college golf, but all athletics across the NCAA. You just suck the lives out of them, and then you're just like, we're not going to accommodate you in any possible way at all. It is so fucked up. I would be destroyed if this happened to me. I mean, I, I played um, college golf and I've been to regionals three times. I can't even imagine how those girls were feeling where your college career is just over. And this is the end of their golf for the golf career for some of the girls forever. They are never going to play competitive golf after this. This is the last time that they get to do this as a team together. And it just breaks my heart like it, it, I just want to cry for them because I can't imagine having your entire golf career just taken away from you like that without any solution at all yeah and I mean the course is at a college it's at LSU I mean you'd think like that would also be a plus in terms of hey if we have to spill this over a day or two um you know tell some people that sorry your tea time's canceled we have some you know we have an unusual circumstance here we're spilling this over 
but also the NCAA, they're like, it's just such a joke in terms of communication, how poorly they get the word out. And, yeah. you know, I happen to know this guy, Brad Hurlbut, who was sort of the face of this. Um, he's now the athletic director at Fairleigh Dickinson. Just coincidentally, he used to work at Northwestern as the sports information director. And like he did a solid for me early in my career when I was at Sports Illustrated. And he helped me out with like a reporting tidbit for uh, a story I was doing about Northwestern Rose Bowl, Northwestern's Rose Bowl team. So like it sucked to see him getting all, you know, getting all the shit for this. But like, I mean, it was a terrible decision. And then they don't explain it at all. If it's playable, it's playable. I mean, the word is playable, so play. If it's not championship level, explain why. Explain why there's so few people working on the golf course and why you can't take, I don't know, free drops from certain bunkers. Just play the damn thing. I mean, like, what was the worst circumstance you had in terms of conditions? And how did you guys work around it? So I've only had one round actually canceled in my entire, well, wow. two, two, two rounds canceled in my I guess it helps career. to be in San Diego and Arizona. Yeah, yeah. no, we traveled a lot. <laughs> so uh, one round was in junior golf in Colorado. Um, it was snowing and there was fog. So we literally couldn't see more than two feet in front of us. It was, um, it was truly unplayable. You yes. couldn't see, but we played the next round and then it was fine. So we at least got one day in and we played for a championship. Like that's normal. And then the next one was in Vegas, high, high winds. It was again, unplayable where your ball was on the green and it was rolling off. You can't play in that, but everyone started the rounds. Both of those, there was at least one or two shots hit from almost everyone. And then they decided it was unplayable, but they still attempted to play. So I would say the worst conditions that I played in that I think they should have called it and I still played in was U.S. Girls. We played at Trump National in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And there was so much water on the golf course. It rained all night, all morning. I had a morning tea time. I actually played with Danielle Kang in that event. Oh, she played awesome. And I was like, this girl is going to be a star. She's going to yes. be on the LPGA Tour. I shot 75 or 76 the first round. She shot like a 68. And then the second round, I shot like an, I, I don't know. My I I don't even know if I broke ninety. I can't even remember. Oh, and she shot like a seventy two, and I was like, "This girl's gonna she make on tour." But it was because <laughs> I got fucked over because there was so much water in the fairway, yeah. and I was like short of the green on a very tight lie to yeah. an elevated um, green, and we couldn't find. It took us almost thirty minutes to find a, an area to drop it because uh, there was so, so much water on the golf course. And we just, I was like, I'll just play. So I dropped it and literally water popped up and I hit it and I hit it thin and it hit the front of the green and just rolled all the way back. So we did the same thing all over again. And um, they even said, they're like, yeah, we don't know if those were actually like playable conditions because it was so brutal, but we still played. We still got through it and we still played. So I don't know how incredibly bad it could have been on that golf course, but I'm sure they could have found a way to make it playable. I think they just didn't want to make it work. And I think the worst thing was, yeah, Brad got, he's the face of it because, you know, he was the one who stood in front of the girls and gave his speech. 
he wasn't the one who ultimately made the decision. So I do feel slightly bad for him. But the fact that they all just turned their back on the girls when they started to question them oh. and walked up the stairs, oh. it, it was just like, what are you guys doing? That right there was the worst possible part. If they stood right. there and answered questions, I don't think it would have been as bad. It would have been bad, but I don't think it would have been as bad as it was. It was just a total lack of disrespect for all of the teams there. Like these decisions should be collaborative. I mean, who makes up the NCAA? The colleges, like they all work together. So, I mean, I don't know why the NCAA thinks it's in a position to just say, oh, it's not happening. Like all those schools should have gotten together and said, how can we make this work? Um, totally tone deaf, completely clueless. By the way, maybe the owner of that golf course you're talking about could have run his like chopper a little bit to dry out some of the areas of the golf course. That would have been nice. Also, Paige, is there a worse sound in golf when you're playing on like a super wet um, course and you hit it and you just hear that splat and you also know that like the mud is going to come up <laughs> and hit you in the face and like you're going to just yeah and, and you're walking like you're doing that sort of tiptoeing thing so your shoes don't get soaked and your and your socks don't get soaked because then you're out there for three, three more hours. Oh yeah, that really sucks. That said. This is their chance, and they should have been allowed to play. There's no question about it. It's it's really sad uh, to see. And one of the girls reached out to me to help um, sign a petition or something, and I asked if she wanted to come on the podcast to talk oh. about it. And she said, I can't. I have to ask the NCAA first. So they're silencing these girls, in a sense, because they can't even have the opportunity to speak to media outlets about it or do anything. If the NCAA doesn't approve it, then they can't do anything about it. So clearly they didn't obviously end up approving it, but it's like that that's the worst part to me is they don't even have a voice in this matter because the NCAA isn't giving them that. Well, so much is going on. I'm sure you're following also with like, like the higher, the high revenue sports in terms of football, men's yeah. basketball, but all athletes in terms of name, image, and likeness, everything's changing. Mark Emmert, the executive director, is now positioning himself as like an agent of change, even though he and everybody at the NCAA has been resisting this forever. So shit's going down, and um, hopefully the athletes have even more of a voice going forward. Do you think athletes should make money off of their jersey sales and their likeness in college? So I generally do. So I oppose this whole thing of like, paying players. Yeah. So schools shouldn't do it. It's for a lot of different reasons. One of which is, I don't know how you have a pay scale. Like what does the starting quarterback make? What does the backup left tackle make? What does a diver make? Is it the same? You've got title nine issues. Like it's not professional sports. If you want to play professional sports, go play professional sports. So it's not, it's not paying them. So in terms of name image likeness in general, yes, I do. I mean, Jersey sales, video games, autographs. It's just tricky because, I mean, already look, like Northwestern is not going to beat Ohio State on many football players when they're recruiting. It happens like once a decade. Yeah. But it'll probably never happen if Ohio State can say, dude, you show up five minutes, you get $10,000 in autograph, and you're all set. Other schools can't do that. So if it's going to be a huge part of recruiting, that would really suck because then like the big schools can really get every single player they want. I don't think we, I don't think that's, that's healthy for the sport. Also, I think back on my friends when they're, you know, like 18 to 21, 22, I don't think they're mature enough to handle that much money as Agreed. well. So, you know, I'm, 
part of me thinks that they, I don't want them to get taken advantage of. And I do feel like that's what's happening right now. I almost wish that 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 money that they're making as a college athlete can go into a fund or their savings where once they graduate or once they are done playing, then they can get that money once they're done with it, but they won't have access to it until that point. Because again, I just don't think that they're mature enough to handle that much cash at that young of an age. And they're already getting free stuff. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's all under the table, but the stuff that, you know, the people were getting in college, I was shocked by it, you know, free playstations and mattresses and like all mattresses. random mat- mattresses, like the most <laughs> random stuff. I'd let you show what up someone with those. <laughs> I don't know. You'd show up to someone's house and it'd be like, Oh, they have like a new flat screen TV and like all this stuff. And I'm like, where'd you get that? And they're like, Oh, they're just a fan of me. And I'm like, Hmm. Oh, that's a little interesting. <laughs> so people are already bending the rules within the NCAA and trying to. I, I always thought it was hard um, in junior golf where you could only accept up to, I think it was $750 within a tournament for if you were playing in something or you couldn't get any sponsorships. And a lot of kids can't pay for new golf equipment and yes. being good and being able to accept, you know, a new set of clubs or even having like a big discount on it is huge. And that would be nice if, you know, before you get to college, those rules were a little bit more lenient as well, which it seems they have changed them, but still not to where I would hope they would be. Yeah, I mean, because the other side of the argument is this. Look, like student athletes are busy enough. They're trying to excel on their sport. They're trying to make good grades. They're trying to have a social life. Like when you add this element of, man, should I go out and do this thing for this car dealership? And like all these other elements of of their life, how it's going to be in terms of name, image, and likeness and these opportunities, like you want them to have it, but I don't always know that it's good for them, but I think there's more good than bad. You know, I was talking to a coach one time and he was like, he's like, why do you want money in the hands of like 18 year olds? Just going to go to weed and video games. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do you think it would motivate them though, if they had... So it's like you have to have at least a 3.0 to receive the money or you have to have a certain GPA or is that, again, not? Ugh. It's hot. Then you're yeah, restricting. Yeah. And then, yeah, you can't. Like anytime you put in these kind of rules. I mean, here's the thing. It really should motivate them even more to, you know, to, to be a starter and to get playing time. Because if you know that, you know, it's not just about court time and, and time on the field, like that you can benefit financially from this. Whereas, you know, you're maybe not going to be an NFL player or an NBA player. Like this is your chance to cash in. Yeah. Yes. These guys will be busting their ass even more when they're 16, 17, 18, 19 uh, to be a featured guy. Like the other ones where you just can't justify it from an NCAA perspective. Like why shouldn't a swimmer be allowed to hold a camp? Like if you're a prominent swimmer, why should you not be able to say, hey, I can get 20 kids to show up and pay $400 each for a full day of instruction, they should be able to use, you know, their skill and their name for that. Or even the kids who are doing YouTube or social media, they can't, you have to choose one or the other. And we've seen that with a a, a ton of kids now that they have a pretty big following on YouTube, Instagram, and they want to monetize that. And so they're choosing to not 
participate in college athletics and to do that instead. And, and they shouldn't have to choose if they're doing right. that, you know, putting their time and own effort into editing videos and uploading themselves. Why do they have to choose? And like they're monetizing their own social media it has nothing to do with the NCAA. I, I don't see how those don't mix. That's so weird. What to do you, me. what do you know about this topic? What yeah, do I we're going to call this, we're going to call this the page rule because <laughs> I mean, there was a window there, right, where you could have monetized. Was through, well, you were still playing at San Diego State when your when your like followers jumped into seven digits, or was it a little bit later? So I I was just done with playing, so I didn't have to choose anymore. But let's say that happened to me my junior year instead of my yeah. senior year, then I would have had to make the decision: Do I go back for my senior year to play college golf, or do I jump on this opportunity to potentially jumpstart my career and make some money for myself? And that would have been a very difficult decision for me to make. I honestly don't know what I would have done. I think if I went to college my final year, then I wouldn't have the career that I would have in social media if I just stopped doing it for a little bit. So, you know, it's very difficult to make that decision. And it's not fair for a kid of that age to have to make that decision. It's social media. Yeah. In your case, are you happy you didn't have to make that decision? Because, Very much. Yes. Yeah. Your life turned out great. And I mean, look, maybe you gave up a year, you know, in this scenario, you would have given up a year of income, but the experience you get of playing college golf, like you can't do that when you're 28. You can, you can make money as an influencer when you're 28, but you can't go backwards. No, it's invaluable. I spoke to the SDSU women's golf team before they played their regionals at Stanford. And they were just, you know, asking me some questions on what I've learned and how I would do it differently. And I just said, don't have any pressure on yourself because I look back at college golf and I only think of how amazing it was. And college golf was the most fun I ever had actually playing golf was as a team. And again, if I had to choose social media and I wouldn't have had those experiences, I would have been devastated because yep. I learned so much in college and I feel like everyone should go to college because that's where I truly grew up the most was my four years at university. That's the thing. Like, so at some level, part of my opposition to quote unquote paying players is also that like everybody has to make a decision. Basically look like if you play college football or college basketball, you are not fully monetizing what you could make, but it is a long-term investment. And yeah. while you are there, you're getting free food and free clothing and free athletic training and free marketing. So a guy like Zion Williamson, who was at Duke for a year, obviously Duke is making a shit ton of money on him, but he's also using Duke to become, you know, one of the most famous basketball players in the world. And he puts in a year there and then is able to sign for zillions of dollars. So it's just important that every everybody kind of know their value uh, and use college sports to build their brand. Do you think we would see more athletes staying the four years or a little bit longer if they could monetize their likeness through college? Because obviously you're seeing, you know, people like that only playing a year or Trevor Lawrence playing two years. And you also look at all the baseball players, every well, the good ones, but majority of right. them would leave after their junior year. and even that was a big problem with uh, college golf because they were leaving after two or three years. And no one was ever really finishing out their senior year. Yeah, I, I think there would be some of that. Certainly not Trevor Lawrence because he's you know hyper yeah. elite and the number one pick. But I would say there are these like 
you know, scrappy college players who basically are not going to have pro careers, like a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, not the maybe not the best example, but uh, you know, it's Notre Dame, it's your school. So, <laughs> so I'll mention Ian Book. You know, a guy who, I mean, he's the starting quarterback at Notre Dame for basically three years. Like, think about how much he could have monetized. I mean, he ended up coming out a year earlier than he than he could have. He could have stayed for another year. He ended up getting. Drafted, I think, in the fourth round. And, you know, I wish him luck and all that. But a guy like that who doesn't have a big NFL future maybe feels pressure to try, um, whereas he could probably be making, you know, well over six figures by staying in college. So that would be good for the college game if there's some guys like that. Let's see in basketball because college basketball, as we know, man, even if a guy's a sophomore, there's so much pressure on him to go pro. I think, you know, these guys like to feel like, what am I, a total loser if I come back from my junior year? Yeah. That's a shame because college basketball used to be great because we would know the guys year after year. It is interesting, though. But I, I as I'm thinking back, though, let's say I'm, you know, back on SDSU's team yeah. in women's golf, we're not getting really anything. We can barely get more than one pair of shoes and we get right. the bare minimum of everything. And let's just look at the basketball players. Not only are they getting to, you know, fly on private jets. Now they're making thousands of dollars on top of that. I, it would be very difficult to just sit there and see that and not even have enough money to pay for our, uh, to have a, a assistant, a paid assistant right. position. So it's, again, it's so hard. It, they should get paid, but it's like, how do you do it? How do you do it? Because it wouldn't, it would, it would be hard for all the other athletes looking at, you know, really only it would be football and basketball. Yeah, That's football, it. men's basketball. Like I think then you'd have a couple women's basketball players, and you know, you got your random swimmer, and maybe like you know somebody who's been in the Olympics. But yeah, I mean, the divide between the haves and the have-nots <laughs> would be even greater. Which I guess is like, hey, welcome to the real world. You're gonna have to deal with this shit your whole life. So you may as well uh, figure it out now that not all things are created equal. And I was going to say a transition into this, but that didn't quite work with what I was saying. Um, we're going to talk about <laughs> Haley Davidson. She is the transgender woman who won a Florida women's golf event. And this has been highly discussed, um, a bit controversial on if she should be able to compete on the LPGA tour. That's her ultimate goal. And she wants to do so. So do you feel that transgender women should be able to compete in women's athletics? And on the flip side, should transgender men be able to compete in men's athletics? Oh, you get to throw this one to me first. Interesting. <laughs> I, get to, I get to chime in. <laughs> Woo! This is a tough one. So, I mean, I'm very progressive politically and, and I think my yes or no answer to this is yes. Mm -hmm. I would like to probably hear from women competitors, um, women who were born women who were competing uh, against Davidson and get their take. But I mean, I've, I, I read a lot about this, um, you know, before she went through her gender reassignment, um, there was a lot of, there were a lot of body changes. Um, lost a lot of weight, lost 90 pounds. And, and she says that that, you know, sort of negated any advantages that she might have in terms of like length off the tee. She says she's lost nine miles an hour in swing speed and it's a 30 yards shorter since the beginning of the hormone therapy. Yeah. So that's an interesting element. So I do believe yes, um, but it's a tricky one. What's your take? Well, I, I think that 
they need to put more research out there so people can better understand. Because I think a lot of the opposition to having them compete is that people just aren't educated enough on this topic. And so they just almost see it as they're a bit ignorant on it. So when they transition, they, they are now a woman. They take hormones. They have the surgeries. They are now a woman. And so it's not like this guy dressed as a woman is competing as a woman. She is, you know, a woman now. And so I think sometimes you see, you know, pretty dominant performances in, I'm thinking of high school track. There was a story around it where I think two of the girls were dominating the other girls and they were both transgender women. And I don't know enough on that story to speak on it like fully. Uh, I don't know if they have fully transitioned or if they were on their hormones, but if she is doing everything that she should be doing and she checks all of the boxes and they say it's okay, then it's okay. I don't see any problem with it. And I mean, you still have to get the ball in the hole. Golf is hard. Right. It's very difficult. Right. And if she's just not good enough, then she's not going to make it. But I don't really see there's too many advantages for her to be playing. I mean, she's not, I don't think she's hitting it that much longer than everyone else. Um, I, I think it's fine. I think it's more than okay. I hear you. I mean, it gets really interesting with the Olympics. Yeah. Um, because then you've got, you know, people who've training their whole lives and maybe they're in track and field and they're looking to the person next to them and it's a little unclear. I know there were so many doping issues with like Eastern Europeans in the 80s and what are people taking? And I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. I'm glad I don't have to deal with any of these decisions. We could have made a great decision on the NCAA Women's Golf Championship. (laughs) But this one is uh, trickier and... Yeah, if if the NCAA can't even handle some water on a golf course, who knows if they're going to make the right decision when it comes to this. Oh, that is. Can you imagine how they'll butcher this decision exactly? Oh, can't even imagine. But, I mean, you do see doping issues with a lot of the other athletes. So it's not like they're competing clean, you know, so that's not fair. And they probably have higher levels of testosterone than Haley probably does from all of the hormones that she's taking. So it's just a very complicated issue that I think a lot of people aren't fully either ready to talk about because of just general general transphobia or they just don't know enough about this topic and it just makes them a little bit uncomfortable. So I just challenge all of you guys listening to this podcast today, if you're a little unsure about it or you had a strong kind of response to this in either like a negative or a positive way, do some research on it. I think that's the most important thing. If you're unsure about, you know, either what we're saying or if you disagree, um, go do your own research on it and, you know, see for yourself and educate yourself on the issue. I think sometimes a lot of people talk about things that, you know, they don't fully understand. And this is something I'm not very well versed in either. But, you know, this is just our opinions. And like I said, if you don't agree with it or you want to know more about it, then go research it. All the information is out there for you to go find it. I, I would say this too, in this part, you can relate to, you know, when you got those sponsors exemptions, like, all right, so let's just say for the sake of the argument that Haley Davidson has some advantages over some women in the field, yeah. um, having been born a man, but like the pressure and the eyeballs and everybody, you know, I'm sure some people, wherever she is, are snickering, like that part is 
probably incredibly tough to deal with, especially in golf where you can hear comments and maybe that, you know, supersedes any advantages that she might have. Well, you even see it with Kate, Caitlyn Jenner now too, mm-hmm. all of the horrible, horrible comments that are always written about her. It, 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 she has a hard road ahead of her. And I think if we can just send some, you know, positivity her way, I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And if, if golf is the one thing that truly makes her happy, why are we standing in her way of being happy? You know, we don't understand what she has been through, how hard it's been. And none of us will ever really understand how truly difficult it is every single day to walk in her shoes. So again, if golf makes her happy, let's let her play. Yeah. And I feel the exact same way about, you know, switching genders. I mean, I don't think anybody does this on a whim. Nobody is like, Hey, I think it's Tuesday. And I just, because I, mean, I want to win golf like tournaments. Yeah. yeah she's she's right. like, didn't transition because she's like, you know what? I'm going to be a champion <laughs> on LPGA tour. You know, she has had years and years and years of feeling like she didn't belong in her own right. body and you know, being depressed. And, you know, I saw a post on her social media and it was her picture before transition. And she's like, I couldn't even garner up a smirk, any kind of smile. I was so depressed. I didn't want to live. I was miserable in my own body. And I'm sure all of us have felt kind of not to that extent, but just sometimes just feeling so bad about ourselves, not feeling like we fit in or that there's just something that doesn't feel right. And, you know, we should commend her for being brave enough to make the transition to do so. It's not hurting any of us. And I think that's yeah. something that like people get so worked up about issues and it, it really affects none of us ever. We're never going to meet her. We're never probably going to, you know, our cross, our paths are never going to cross. It doesn't affect us. So let's just send some positivity her way. Yeah. I mean, when in doubt, just try to walk in somebody else's shoes. I, I know it's hard for some people to do that because they're sort of stuck in what they believe is right and wrong <laughs> and this and that and bathrooms and all. It's like, just try to picture yourself as somebody who, right, is so depressed and going through so much tough stuff and feels they are just the wrong gender. And right, she's not doing this because she wants to play the course from 6250. <laughs> there's there's so <laughs> much more to it. So I, I like uh, I like your vibe there, Paige. Okay. Well, I'm glad we agreed on that. That was a good, healthy discussion. Yeah, we haven't had any fights this this uh, episode. Can you please bring something up for us to argue about? Okay. How about Phil accepting the exemption for the U.S. Open? I'm a afraid we're going to be on the same page too, but I'll page, but I'll, uh, but I'll start. I mean, look, I understand why the USGA is doing this. Phil is going after a career grand slam. He is from San Diego. He's won three times at Torrey Pines. It's great publicity. We'd much rather have Phil in there than Joe Blow from, uh, you know, from Norman, Oklahoma. Sorry, Oklahoma. But I just still think it's weird. I just don't think it's right. Like this is the most democratic of the tournaments. Um, you either are in the top 60 in the world or you are exempt some other way or you qualify. That's how the U.S. Open works. This just doesn't feel right to me. I agree with you. Damn, Damn it. it. <laughs> I agree. And especially because it's Phil and like what we talked about with him having such a strange relationship with the USGA for such a long time. Yeah. I didn't see him actually accepting the sponsor invite. If he really wanted to play, why didn't he go out and qualify it on his own merit? 
Again, I am there's nothing against sponsor invites. Clearly, I love them. I think they're great for the game at all times. And I don't really have a problem with the USGA extending an invite to Phil. I am just surprised that he decided to accept it. It when you can go out and qualify for it. And I think he would probably feel better about himself kind of like earning his way. Exactly. Because he's so good. He's, of course, he's going to qualify. And honestly, if he was scared, if the reason he took the exemption is because he was scared that he wasn't going to qualify, then that's not the right mindset either then. Because you're like, if I can't even qualify for the U.S. Open, I shouldn't even be playing in the U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he, I don't know, had some like horrific injury the day before there was qualifying, so yeah. he doesn't have a chance to qualify. He's got plenty of chances. I mean, I think he had even entered a field. He was going to play like June 7th or 17th in Ohio, and that's what you do. It would have been so much better for his brand to say, I appreciate you, but I'm going to just try to qualify because that's what the U.S. Open is all about. I mean, very smart of the USGA to do this because now they probably feel like, oh, Phil's going to owe us one, you know, Mm -hmm. so we've done him a solid. So exactly smart from their perspective, but not his. You know, I kind of liken this to the year Tiger was at the Masters and he hit the flagstick on 15 and he got that horrible break and it spun back and then he took an illegal drop. And, you know, the Masters Rules Committee, for some reason, just screwed it up. And they allowed him to sign an incorrect scorecard. And then instead of DQing him, they just say, okay, we're just going to do like a best interest of the game thing and give him a two-shot penalty. Like Tiger at that point should have said, no, I appreciate that, but I'm actually withdrawing because this is golf and it's the only sport that's like this. And my peers are going to respect me more. Like, don't you think Phil's peers would respect him way more if he turned that down and tried to qualify like every single other player who is not automatically exempt? Part of me is hoping that Phil only accepted it to make like a mockery of the tournament. So he's going to show up and just, what? you know, act. A, <laughs> I don't just do something outrageous like something Phil would do. I don't know. What's That's what do? I'm like hoping for. Because I, I, that feels more <laughs> like a Phil move than this is. This doesn't feel like a Phil, Phil move. Like I, I agree. Again, like I am just shocked that he did. And if it was any other tournament or any other player. Yeah. I I wouldn't have had, you know, any reaction to it, but again, it's cuz it's Phil and because he has been he's so much disdain for the USGA. Like it's not like a fun little back and forth. Like he sounds like he hates them sometimes in his like post-round interviews at the US Open. Oh, he always he's got he has had contempt for the USGA in yeah. terms of how they set up the course, um a lot of different things. And it's not like he's close. So the top 60 in the world golf ranking make it. He's 116. So it's not like, oh my God, if he had just made one more voting in this tournament, he'd be 60th. And right, in case anybody thinks you're being, uh, you know, hypocritical, I was going to say hypocritical, hypocritical, you weren't getting a sponsor's invite to the U.S. Open. No. The, 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 the U.S. Women's Open was not saying, Paige, you know, come and play our event. So it is totally different when it's a fun event, when it's run of the mill tour event, you know, even the PGA championship inviting Ricky feels closer to okay, but still, but, but, but the major should never have a sponsor invite. I mean, I can't even imagine the outrage if I, if I accepted a sponsor invite to the U S open, can you imagine? And a lot of people don't realize that, Yes, I took three sponsor exemptions and I made the cut in one of them. So it wasn't all fails. Yeah. But I had multiple 
sponsor invites from LPGA tour events. And I said, no, I am not going to do it. I will only do the European tour because I felt like that was, you know, a a step lower and I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. But I had so many sponsor invites and I turned all of them down. So I only took three out of a lot. And people don't realize that, you know, it wasn't like I was taking everything that came my way. I was being very yeah. strategic with the ones that I was taking. And I was really, really trying not to ruffle any feathers, uh, which did not work well for me, <laughs> but yeah. I still didn't take them either. So I wasn't taking, you know, every opportunity that I got. I had never heard that. That's really interesting. And did you grind over those decisions or were you just like, nope, this is my, this is my red line. Uh, I am not taking LPGA invites. There was one that I really thought about taking. It was right after the Scottish Open. And I was like, I, I I could potentially do this. And then I just decided not to because of the reaction that I had in, you know, the LET events. I, I wasn't ready to handle a LPGA event, especially because a lot of the LPGA players were um, very against me at the time and very vocal about, you know, uh, disliking me and what I was doing. And then there was also some other, you know, um, fun little things that the ShopRite was doing. So they do something every year. And one year they did a uh, a competition. So the fans got to vote on six girls who had a, a social media presence to get in. I was asked to do that. I turned that one down as well. So I didn't participate in that. So I really, really tried to do everything the right way. And I thought taking the LET exemptions was going to be more than okay with everyone, yes. which definitely wasn't. But I never crossed over to the LPGA because I I really did not want to piss anyone off more than I already have. <laughs> <sighs> I wish you had. I, I would. That would have been fun. That would have been fun to see uh, you competing with the top ladies in America and the world. Um, do you regret any of that or looking back, it was the right decision? I think it was the right decision. I'm glad I never, I never took them. Um, again, I just wasn't mentally prepared for that. And I think it would have been worse if I obviously missed the cut or I didn't play well. And I didn't feel confident enough about my game to know that I could compete with the best. Like I was going into those weeks just thinking I need to survive instead of thinking I want to win this tournament. And with all of the um, media obligations that I would have to do, I wouldn't be able just to focus on playing golf and to be also to feel very alone there playing the LPGA for the first time. Like I, I just knew it was going to be a terrible experience for me and everyone surrounding me. Cause I would have been <laughs> just very difficult to deal with. I, I know myself well enough to know that that was a good decision that I didn't take it. And um, I, I just wish more of the players understood what I was going through and the fact that I wasn't taking everything and I wasn't trying to capitalize on all of my opportunity. I was actually being very strategic about it and not trying to ruffle any feathers. You know, honestly, there's been some buzz out there of um, some sponsor invitations extended to me for (laughs) PGA tour events. And I will consider Europe. um, But I just think the PGA tour is a little too much. Can you, Oh my gosh, you have to try to Monday qualify for the corn very, Corn Ferry event at um, TPC Colorado. What we're sponsoring. Yes. Can you try to do that? I mean, if they give me 15 shots aside. Um, I just want to see what you would shoot on. No like, problem. <laughs> we could do like a full content day. So be you and me playing a Monday qualifier from the tips and just absolutely film the entire thing. I mean, it would be a shit show for sure. I don't think any of us would probably break 85, but uh, it would be fun. 
I'm going to predict that I will beat you on at least one hole per nine. Probably the par threes, because I for like longer par threes, anything over like 200, I have to hit a hybrid or even like a three wood. In Colorado, it could be a little bit different, but I'm sure they're going to play some of those par threes at like three or 230 plus. Yeah, it's, you know, knock down five iron for me. Oh, um, stop. <laughs> in that high altitude. Yeah, I mean, I really hope I play well when we finally play against each other, because otherwise, I'll, <laughs> frankly, I'll never live it down in this podcast. <laughs> I think you will. I think I think it'll be a good little match. You said people play well when they're around you. Don't you bring out the best of people? I do. I do. I'm very supportive. But I don't know if I'll be that supportive towards you, though. <laughs> like, when does your, your swing, the only thing about your swing is, does your ankle hurt? Because when you follow through, you, like, roll your right ankle. Yeah. It's, like, almost touching the ground. I don't, that's the one thing about your swing. I don't mind the backswing. I don't mind the follow through. But that's just the, the ankle is the one thing that just, like, I can't stand it. You know, guys like Steph Curry and me, we were blessed <laughs> with like incredible ankles. So we have a lot of flexibility. Um, like, and like me and DJ, we're able to like really cup the left wrist and do a lot of stuff there. So no, I've got no physical problems. I mean, sometimes I'll come off the golf course after I shot terrible and be like, I have, I have no excuses. I have my back's fine. My knees are fine. Shoulders are good. I, I wish I could point to some, some issue, but, um, I did play pretty well at, you know, Geneva national. So, uh, I am coming for you, Paige. I know. I need to work on my game a little bit. Definitely. I, I've been hitting it fine and I've been I played yesterday, but I just I don't have the drive to like practice or get into that like competitive mode anymore. That's also why I don't miss golf or playing competitively because you have to be out on the driving range, you know, or on the golf course at least seven hours a day, every oh single day. Gosh. And not only that, but you play, you know, like 36 holes sometimes because you just, you know, you're playing with your buddies and stuff. I just never loved playing that much, like all the time at that level. And it just was not fun for me. Like I never like, Sometimes I am. I'll get in grooves where I'm like, okay, now I really want to practice. I want to get good. But majority of the time, I'm like, I just want to go play nine. Nine is enough for me. I hate playing 18 holes. I I just love a good, fun round nine holes at like twilight. And I'm, I'm donezo after that. And then, yeah. Do you drink after you play or it depends on the circumstance or what's like a perfect No, I usually don't drink. I never really drink. I've been starting to have like a cocktail sometimes at dinner. Um, just cause life is stressful. Yes. Yeah. I love a good mule. Um, but no, I'm, I'm not a big like post round drinker. Um, I really actively tried to not drink when I was playing because I was so depressed and I didn't want that to be a vice for me to like get used to like having those bad rounds and like feeling like I needed a drink. So that was also part of the reason why I, I didn't drink for such a long time is because like I knew myself and I have a pretty addictive personality and I was like, I'm already depressed. Have a lot of anxiety. I do not need to start drinking on top of all of this. So and now I can like handle it and like moderation and be fine. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a mid round transfusion on Sunday, and I feel like that uh, one or two definitely helps. Then the third starts to get questionable on whether it's helping or hurting. I know. I need to play around a golf and like actually have a drink during it and see yeah. if I do play better because I've never played golf and drank before. Um, yeah, I, I honestly can't think of one time like during the round that I've had a drink. And, you know, be in Colorado. So I don't know if you're going to be smoking probably before or during the round. I'm guessing that's not you either. 
No, I have never smoked um, or done marijuana or any drugs. I, in my entire life, I've never tried any of it. Again, I'm like so paranoid yeah. and I already have like a fucked up head. I'm like, I don't need that on drugs. Like, I feel like I would not be like calm and chill. I feel like it would make me very paranoid and I'm not willing to take that risk to like find out. <laughs> you should take a risk because there's very good stuff out there now, Paige. Like my group, uh, we played uh, Saturday, we played poker at night. You know, we all took part. I think it was equal. <laughs> like, if you're going to play poker with guys, like, everybody has to do the same stuff. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, guys are putting down their cards and being like, I got a straight. And it's like, dude, there's no eight in your hand. <laughs> you don't have a straight. <laughs> but you bluff. Like, it was a successful bluff, you know, because you don't even know what you have. But, um, yeah, I think there's I think there's a time and place page. I, I'm going to see about You're corrupting me. Too. You're corrupting yeah. me. I, I Nope. No one's ever going to make me do it. I want to like the, my entire life good. be able to say that I've like never. That's the thing. I also don't want to like it. What if I do like it? And then all of a sudden I'm like, I have to have it. I'm. That's the thing. I, I, I know myself so well where I'm like, I don't even want to like try something because I'll probably get like addicted to it. So I've used that same line in terms of saying no to hard drugs. It's like if <laughs> if it's terrible then what's the point of doing it and if you love it then that might be even worse yeah. what are you doing <laughs> there's no like good good to that <laughs> but yeah they're just so i mean it is hilarious now with the whole cannabis stuff and especially like points bet being in colorado illinois is also a state where it's all legal like just the thousand seemingly hundreds of different choices and methods and stuff you put in food and it's it's amazing I know nothing, like nothing at all. I took a drug class when I was in high school um, and obviously I was homeschooled. So I did it with my mom and that's like my <laughs> only extent of like drugs. I didn't realize that people actually like did cocaine for like the longest time until I like grew up and I would go places and I would see people like talking about it. I've never seen anyone do it, but I would, like to see people talk about it and I'm like, this is a real thing. Like I have lived such a sheltered life and I'm just like asking them, like my best friend, she lives, uh, she works in like almost like a recovery center. And so she's always like educating me on it. And I'm just, I ask like the stupidest questions. I'm like, what's marijuana? <laughs> is the J silent? <laughs> what's hash? Like, yeah, what is an eight ball and why is it called that? Yeah, I mean, when I go to no, make... I, like, no idea at oh, all. That's funny. I sound like such a nerd I, I literally have like no idea about anything at all. And maybe that's a good thing. And maybe I'll just yeah. I'll keep it that way for the rest of my life. I was at a party and someone was like, You want to hit the slopes? And I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't snowboard. I've never been skiing before. And the look that they gave me <laughs> was just like, are you serious? And I, was, and I, I literally went into like my whole right. life story. I was like, yeah, I grew up in Colorado <laughs> and my family snowboards and my, and they ski, but I was a gymnast and I never like, I just kept going and going and going. And then they were like, just walked away. And I, they didn't say anything after that. And then in college, there was like this weird bag of stuff outside our front yard. And so we called the cops because we're like, we don't know what this is. And he like sniffed it and he was like, this is like dog food. Like, what are you guys talking? It was like ground up dog food or something. Mm -hmm. It was just like all like, trampled on. He's like, this is not drugs. And he laughed in our <laughs> face, literally laughed in our face about it. And I was like, 
I don't know. Yeah, you can't smoke dog food. I don't think that would really I don't have know. a good effect on I you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you sound a little bit like Will Ferrell in uh, in old school, you know, when they're like, dude, you want to do the bong? And he's going through his whole Saturday, not sure if we're yeah. gonna have enough time. And they're like just looking at him like, what? That I wish I, I wish that had been recorded, that moment where somebody asked you if you wanted to hit the slopes. That's that's an all-timer. Or when you like cookies, I didn't know the difference between like a special cookie and just like normal cookies. There's been plenty of times at college parties that I almost part took in like a special cookie because I just was like, oh, my God, a brownie or a cookie. This is amazing. And then and then I was like, oh, smells a little funky. I'm not going to have it. (laughs) Then now knowing (laughs) that it was like laced with like marijuana. I can't believe they never, as a practical joke, had you eat eat a cookie. Yeah, I like in baseball clubhouses, the line was always like there was coffee. uh, So some would be leaded and some would be unleaded. And the the leaded had the greenies, had the amphetamines. So you got to know, you got to know the talk. Page. Come on. No idea. No idea. People would ask me in college and I wanted to be cool. So I was like, oh yeah. Like I oh, smoked yeah. last night. And yeah. they're like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, close okay. cigarettes don't count, and you didn't even smoke that. No, never smoked a cigarette, nothing. Oh, so man. that was that was my life. That was me growing up. But um yep. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. <laughs> Wide variety of topics. Wide variety. Um, always a good one. Thanks, Teddy, for I was gonna say for always the debates, but we didn't debate today. It was a very little uh, bit. I mean, just at the end with you know your your puritanical values there in relation <laughs> to drugs, but I think maybe that was the only one we had. Well, I'm excited for the PGA coming up. I think next episode's going to be so good when we recap all of that. So you guys will see us soon. What that? Oh my God. What was that ending? I was like going to end it. And then I just like trailed off and I didn't know what I was going to say. We'll see you guys soon. That's it. We're done. <laughs> Bye-bye. Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.